Super Talk Mississippi media production. Did you know Toyota Brookhaven has sold more new vehicles the last two years than any other dealership in southwest Mississippi? Come see why. Exit 40 Brookhaven or online at toyotabrookhaven.com. Great service, great savings. At Toyota Brookhaven, we deliver. Howdy, howdy, it's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Everyone and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host Gerard Gibbard, along with Rhino in the Element Wealth Studios, guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music. On this Hump Day, we have made it to the middle of the week, my friend. We are here. It is cold outside, but it ain't raining, which is a good thing. Well, I mean, it is the middle of November. I reckon. And looking at the long-term forecast, it's going to remain a rather brisk for a while. Yeah, there's even a chance for a large swath of the Magnolia State, generally about 30 to 40 miles south of I-20 and north, for a hard freeze Friday morning. Jeez. Well, got to get ready for that, I reckon. Is that time of year? But you know it's teasing us because I'm betting that sometime in December it's going to be shorts weather again, right? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, we'll get acclimated to this, and this won't be nearly as bad. It's just because, what was it, a week, week and a half ago it was 80-something? Yeah, It's a little tough to acclimate. Yeah, totally agree. But here we are, middle of the week, and what, once again, it was uh, an eventful evening The 45th president of the United States, Donald Trump, announces that he is a candidate for president of these United States once again in 2024. Officially launched it. It came not as a shock, though. We knew that was what he was teasing with the, quote, big announcement. Did you happen to watch it, the speech? No. I watched it. Every minute of it, from Mar-a-Lago, and uh, many in attendance, here's my take. It was uh, a rather sanguine demeanor for the president relative to the typical Trump rally. You have to believe he was coached uh, to tone it down a bit. I was pleased to see, to my recollection, there were no ad hominem attacks, no insults, no mockery targeting others. Rather, it was uh, kind of a recap, a reflection on his first term as president, the state of the country. In fact, he, he began his speech discussing the state of the country when he left office. And I felt like it was 
fairly accurate, the description of it, except I think you'd have to back it up somewhat and that I'm not so sure things were quite that rosy given the situation, the COVID situation that had blanketed the nation at that point. But nonetheless, I think most would agree they were in better shape at his exit than they are now. I'm assuming that's most people feel that way. And I, and I say that simply because of how the cost of living has risen dramatically for most folks. And now it is absolutely true that there have been uh, there's also been a corresponding increase in wages. But across the board not sufficient to keep up with inflation. And I simply point that out because every single poll including exit polls in the midterms told us that that's what most folks are still concerned about in terms of the so-called high-priority kitchen table issues, as politicians like to retort. So that's uh, that was interesting in my uh, opinion. He was uh, it's just, just a different tone and tenor. It was more positive and... Uh, more focused on content and policy, and to a great extent, he revealed his vision for his next term in office. So I would just say that it was certainly an improvement as you would contrast it to, honestly, his behavior, his statements in the last couple of weeks. It was a pivot from that. So much so, Rhino, some people prefer the old Trump. I came across this video. This is from within the crowd, folks. Hopefully someday go back to their homes. This is boring. boring. We're boring. Tell some jokes. This is something entertaining. This is boring. Come on. So very important. We're bored. This is. This is Are you serious? This is boring. This is boring. We came here to be entertained. This is boring. I'm so bored. I love you, but this is really boring. Donald, you're boring. 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 So, and you can see the the red MAGA hat makes it. Because nobody else is really wearing one. I know. It makes that. Them look it looks like a weird. plant. I know. I agree with you on that. It does, doesn't it? And it, you, can you hear him saying in the background, take your hat off? Did you hear that? It, that's what it sounded like to me. Well, I will say, though, I do think that those who regularly attend Trump rallies, and there are people, you know, the caravan around attending them. They don't just wait for them to come to them. They follow them around. I do think, to a great extent, they go to be entertained. It is, relative to typical politicians' rallies, it is entertaining. Joe Biden rallies just make you mad, <laughs> right? They just incense you. They, they bring out thoughts that, are just of anger. 
because at least they aren't like bad drive-in movies anymore. <laughs> you have any in mind? Fourteen cars out there all honking their horns because he said the one buzzword. That's right. <laughs> That's true. Well, I don't know. It's so it's it's kind of a double-edged sword, there, isn't it? P- people, I think, gravitate towards Donald Trump because of his bombastic personality. To a great extent. Yeah, I mean, that was one of the main selling features, especially in 2016, was you're not getting the political doublespeak of, I will say whatever you want me to hear in front of this audience, and I will say whatever you want me to hear in front of that audience, and those two things will be completely different. Absolutely true. Uh, Fairly consistent, I would say, in his messaging. Fairly consistent. But... It, it seems that anywhere he went, that's what folks wanted to hear. I mean, they were aligned with him, right? So, But in the meantime, it didn't take some folks very long to react. And a couple of those folks were key contributors to PACs. And also PACs that supported the, the president as well made statements. But Citadel, billionaire founder Ken Griffin called Donald Trump a three-time loser, said he hoped the former president would see the light, and he says he will not will not um, support him. In fact, he's pledging his uh, support, Ken Griffin is, to DeSantis, and he says he wants to be his number one political donor in 2024. Stephen Schwartzman, Blackstone CEO, also came out yesterday and said he will not support Donald Trump, he was once a very close ally. You probably heard Trump mention his name a few times. The billionaire private equity firm uh, CEO, Blackstone. Blackstone, Bain Capital from uh, whence um, uh, Romney came from. Apollo Resources, KKR, uh, top four in that world. Blackstone typically considered uh, the top. Anyhow, he says he's not on board. Quote, America does better when its leaders are rooted in today and tomorrow, not today and yesterday. It's time for the Republican Party to turn to a new generation of leaders, and I intend to support one of them in the presidential primaries. That's from Schwartzman. And he got a lot of dough. That can certainly be a factor. In a primary. Just interesting reaction. We got a lot more on that too that we'll get to in the program. But coming up next, Matthew McLaughlin, co founder of Fertile Ground Beer, and Brian Drennan, president of Capital City Beverages. They're going to come on as we spotlight small business that was opened earlier this year in Mississippi. At 1205, Shawaski Young, Former Democrat candidate for Mississippi's 3rd Congressional District will get his take on the midterms last week. And also, he'll weigh in on the state and future of the Democrat Party in Mississippi. We're in the Element Well Studios, coming right back. Talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's get on with it. On Super Talk Mississippi. 
night, my hands wet on the wheel. There's a voice in my head that drives my heel. in the LMOL Studios, Super Talk Mississippi Middays, Gerard and Rhino. So, still wait for our, our guests, we'll figure that out. Again, Shawaski Young scheduled to join us on VMix at 12.05, and he'll talk about the Democrat Party in Mississippi. So, Lindsey Graham says if President Trump continues this tone and delivers for the American people as he did before, he will be tough to beat. That from Lindsey Graham. That's interesting. His take on it. I guess the question is, this certainly crossed my mind, while I was pleased to see a more reserved and and honestly likable tone and demeanor, can he continue? What does he do when he faces criticism from detractors, either other opponents, media, etc.? I mean, typically he's pretty quick to respond, and usually in uh, a very insulting tone, and gives the business right back. So I'm not sure what uh, happens there, but I do think that will, to a great extent, dictate. But winning the presidency, I think you just have to be honest about it. It comes down to a handful of counties in about four states. That's I mean, it's just ground zero now, the way it has, has worked, and that is a function of the Electoral College. Many states... Most states, you can go ahead and chalk them up to a candidate based on their party affiliation before they ever before the first ballot is ever cast. I can't help but laugh when you mention the the electoral college because what did we hear for so long that the electoral college needs to be done away with and the popular vote is the way to go and then oh you look at the popular vote for the house and wow Republicans kicked tail yeah it's 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 kind of surprising how that worked out. <laughs> Uh, agree. Facebook, by the way, says they will not fact-check Trump anymore. How about that? I think they don't have enough time or money to do it, honestly. They're struggling. they got to keep the doors open. They've got to figure out uh, Plan B, because Plan A of the metaverse didn't really work out It is them. miserably failing. No doubt about thunk that. It. People don't want to spend their hard-earned money on a storefront that exists in ones and zeros in the metaverse. Yeah, that's absolutely true. You know, the one thing that uh, I will... So the president did, uh, Donald Trump, former president, he he did review, as he should, his accomplishments while in office. And he made the statement that he made commitments and he honored those commitments. And... There's, there's one in particular that I would just point out that uh, was not honored, that, that I consider to be a really, really big deal. And that is, he said, 
that he would eliminate the budget deficit within eight years. And he did not, and in fact, it ballooned considerably under his watch. He, um, he inherited a deficit of about $585 billion when he took office in 17 from the former president at the time, Barack Obama. And he actually uh, increased it considerably. In 19, it was <laughs> in 2019, just two years later, it was, it was $984 billion. It was $780 billion. He increased it by $200 billion in his first year. So that didn't happen, and we weren't really on a trajectory for that to happen. And, and I certainly don't put that all at the feet of Donald Trump. I've said it many, many times. That is a commitment that should not be made by a president or, honestly, anybody running for federal office, Congress, House or Senate, because it just takes a whole lot of star alignment and a whole lot of reform to our spending practices, including addressing mandatory spending, which accounts for 70% of total federal outflows. And that means you got to have 60 votes in the Senate. So making that promise, while I think it's a noble, honorable, and uh, welcome goal, it's just from a practical perspective and a legislative perspective, it's just virtually impossible. And in fact, look no further than the $1.2 trillion uh, infrastructure bill, which is really kind of Green New deal light that 17 Republicans supported. You can't eliminate deficits when you got that going on. That, of course, occurred at 21 under Biden's watch. And then more recently, the CHIPS Act, 19 Republicans supported. Where does that money come from? We don't have it. Clearly we don't have it. We're, we're, we're in overdraft. We're in permanent, perpetual overdraft mode. Imagine operating your household like that. The difference is the bank won't let you... <laughs> Uh, where at the federal level, oh, no problem. Just print some more there, Mr. Treasurer. Fire up the mint. <laughs> it's true. So, you know, I consider that uh, to be a pretty big deal. He also said this tariffs on China something that I had issues with. He said no president, quote, no president had ever sought or received a dollar for our country from China until I came along. Well, that's actually not true, and it's the other thing that he he doesn't he doesn't communicate, doesn't convey. It's not Chinese exporters who are making these tariff payments; it's American importers. It's actually a tax on American companies, and the and the idea was, the logic was to force more of them to come to the U.S. to make their goods. The problem is it's more expensive to make goods in the U.S. than it is to make them in China and pay the tariff. And that all gets passed on to consumers. So while it kind of looks good on paper, you'd like to see more of that stuff made in the U.S. The fact is it just means the cost of it is 
is exceedingly higher as a result. But and there's more of a cultural push for the cheapest item than the made-in-the-USA item. Yeah. I mean, there are countries around the world where it's ingrained culturally to buy stuff made in your country. That's right. In the U.S., being a big melting pot, there's more of a cultural push to have the cheapest item, no matter where it came from. Yep. That's absolutely true. He also said that we were at a buck eighty-seven. I mean, it's just splitting hairs a little bit, but he said specifically a buck eighty-seven a gallon for gas when he left office, and we weren't. We were at two thirty-nine. That's well documented. So that's uh, fifty-one cent difference. I mean, that may be immaterial, but it it's just just wrong. And then he said also that we're sitting five, six, seven, even eight dollars, and it's really. It's going to go really bad. That's not true either. The national average yesterday, $3.75, not five, six, seven, or 8 Even in California, the state with the highest prices, it's five forty-two, which is ridiculous, but it's not 6 7 or 8 And I'm not just calling out Donald Trump. I call out any politician, anybody that listens to this show a lot knows that I uh, will expose the truth and attempt to debunk or refute any of these statements made. I kind of feel like that's sort of a goal of the show here, and and I don't do that without researching it, and that's just, you, you can check me on that. That's just, this is just the truth. Check me on the tariffs, too. That's just the truth. So the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, I'm certainly not happy, like most Americans, about uh, Joe Biden tapping our reserves in this effort really just to gain political favor with voters to try to drive the price of gas down. It's not true that he completely drained it, as Donald Trump said last night. That's not true. It's also not true that Donald Trump filled it up. None of those are true. I'll tell you what the truth is about that. Uh, I haven't researched that. When we return, we are in the Element Well Studios. We're coming right back. Started today, Gerard Gibbert. Welcome, welcome to our shop on Super Talk Mississippi. Okay, now you have a good one. Now, Red Solo Cup is the best receptacle for barbecues, tailgates, fairs, and festivals, and you, sir, do not have a pair of if you prefer drinking from glass. Hey, Red Solo Cup is cheap and disposable. In 14 years, they are decomposable, and unlike my home, they are not foreclosable. Freddie Mac kiss my Red Solo Cup. What the hell is that? I fill you up. <laughs> Let's have a party. Let's have a party. I love you, Red Solo. Just trying to lighten the mood because there are some people on the text line upset. I see that. It, this, uh, it kind of reminds me of the War of 1812 song. You remember that? Who did that? Somebody did like Johnny Horton. 
Battle of New Orleans. We took a little trip. It sounds like that, doesn't it? Kind of has the same rhythm. Yeah. Along with Colonel Jackson down the mighty Mississippi. Mighty Mississippi. That's right. My favorite verse is about the cannonballs and powder in their behinds. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> and when they set the powder off, the Gators lost their mind. <laughs> oh, gosh. By the way, our guests, uh, Matthew McLaughlin, Brian Drennan, coming in at 11.05 is what uh, Alex just informed me. So we'll be ready for that. And then at 12.05, it's Shawaski Young, former candidate for Mississippi's 3rd Congressional District on the Democrat side. And Shawaski, I think, is ready to say a bit about the Democrat Party. He wrote of uh, an interesting statement. Not too happy with the party in Mississippi, the way I took it. So just continuing the discussion about the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, and then I'll get to the text on the ceasefire text line. So it, what's interesting about the SPR is uh, that it actually contained, listen carefully, fewer barrels of crude when the president left office in early 21 than when he took it in 17. And that, by the way, that's not because of him. Federal law, it turns out, requires some sales from the reserve. It's mandatory just for budget reasons. Now, it is true Donald Trump wanted, he had the ambition, and I think the right idea, Hey, while the price is severely depressed, let's go buy as much as we can. Store it away. Okay? You remember him talking about that? It actually never happened. The Democrats blocked it. Yeah. Democrats blocked it. So you remember that. Oh, yeah. Okay. I just wanted to remind our audience of that. So I applaud Donald Trump. Of course, it doesn't take a genius to figure that out, really. I mean, it's the right move, and I'm not saying that Goofy yeah, I mean, Joe if you've got Biden storage space it. and the price is negative, uh, you yeah. you want to pay me to hang on to this? Yeah. Exactly. I mean, that just, buy low, sell high, right? Now, Joe Biden would not do it on ideological grounds. Well, he can't buy that fossil fuels. I, I'm just speculating. It never came up. But still, by the way... The military, the U.S. military, has uh, the largest reserve in the world, though it is at a 38-year low. We need to be clear about that. And I do think Joe Biden's decision to dump was 180 million barrels was stupid. Stupid and really maybe affected the price of nickel or something when you consider that it's uh, a million a day there for a while. We consume about 20 million a day. I mean, it's just had a negligible impact and was really not curing the problem, the supply problem. It was just a short-term boost to try to buy votes. But I wanted to be just clear about that. It's, again, the, the president, I think, Donald Trump, I believe the decision and the effort to fill up the reserve while the price was depressed made total good common business sense. 
Democrats, shame on you for standing into the way of that simply because you didn't want him to have a victory. I have problems with that. That's that's the political selfishness that exists on both sides many times coming out. Ridiculous. But I think the president needed to be a little more, I'm talking about the former president last night, a little, little more clear because he did say his administration, quote, filled up but that it has now been, quote, virtually drained. Neither one of those are totally accurate. Now, I know there are folks over here, I'm going to take a look at the ceasefire text line, that are probably not happy with my analysis, and that's fine. You have the right and prerogative to disagree. And I'm not, I'm not here attacking Trump. I'm just, I'm just analyzing statements. That is not an attack on a person. And by the way, on this program, we analyze statements made by a lot of people. Right? All these videos we play, many of which feature our president, Joe Biden, because he is the president. And what he says means something. And we should be able to take stock in it, and we should be able to take their statements to the bank. It's gospel truth. And I think Americans yearn for their political leaders to just be honest and truthful. When you are being forthcoming and being honest and truthful, even if it's not the news that people want to hear, even if it's not statements and rhetoric that engenders votes, you got to be honest. You need to apply the sleep test. Can you sleep with your statements at night? Are you at peace with that? If you're a person of faith, are you at peace with the Lord in that respect? So that's all we're doing here is just analyzing. Now, there's a lot of other statements made I could go through. Drug use punishment in China, presidential records, finishing the border wall. Also, he claimed last night that a missile was sent by Russia, landed 50 miles of Poland. People are going absolutely wild and crazy, and they're not happy. Uh, now we've learned didn't come from Russia. Although, I think it was the NATO Secretary General this morning was blaming Russia for it. Well, they may have had a, a hand in the mis what appearance appears to be a misfire, but we don't know is the bottom line at this point. Um, and, and it also happened about four miles from the border, so it's not not totally true. But somehow we got to get away, and I and I'm not again preaching here, lecturing on Donald Trump, but I'm just saying in our political discourse and our political domain in general, we've got to start espousing and communicating facts and debating facts. And we've just lost that, it seems to me. Um, And then, of course, he went on about the wall. And look, I, I support security at the border. And if the wall is the best way to achieve that, I'm all for it. 
but it hasn't been completed. And the president, Donald Trump, last night said it's been completed. It clearly hasn't. Never could get the funding for that. And if it had been, then we wouldn't have two million people pouring across in the last two years, across the border. Now, if his aspiration is to complete it, I would support that. And I'm not sure that there would be other Republican candidates, at least I certainly haven't seen any potential candidates that would dissent with that position. I don't think there are. You know, I hadn't seen anybody talk that much about that. Uh, on the ceasefire text line, Jason says, I am mad. I'm pissed, frankly. I'm tired of this guy. For all he's done, yes, but for also for splitting the party, alienating independents, and handing far too many wins to nutball regressives. Interesting. Uh, let's see. Let me get somebody here. Uh, pretty clear on the 662. Pretty clear. Y'all are anti-Trump. So see ya, Steve and Tupelo. Well, Steve, I would invite you to be more discerning in your analysis. I didn't say anything that was anti-Trump. Not one thing. I've praised him for his first term, for his accomplishments. I'm simply calling out where he was less than 100% honest. If you feel like that what my analysis is inaccurate, let me know. No, that's dead on. The problem with Trump for the majority of moderates is he has a problem with exaggeration and a bigger problem with sharing any credit. That's And that's tough spot to on. do that in the world of politics. Give former president the benefit Trump the benefit of the doubt. He may have planned to accomplish that in the final four years of his presidency. Ha ha, says Herschel. Great show. Appreciate that, Herschel. Well, I guess that's really what it's all about. You're right, Herschel. From a voter perspective, it's you, you've got to cast your vote for the person you trust, you believe is more likely to achieve goals and objectives and outcomes that align with your views. We'll be right back in the Element Well studio. Stay with us. Systems the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. The knack bumping us into this segment here, my Sharona. Where's Fred Shanks, my good friend, Representative Shanks? That's like his favorite song. <laughs> so, uh, on the money front, the Dow has been hopping around here, that old kangaroo this morning. Uh, Rhino, it's presently in the green, up about 25 points. But what's really dragging it down is that Target came in and missed expectations, top and bottom line, and uh, also provided a rather gloomy outlook did the major retailer also reported 400 million of shrinkage shrinkage folks i know a lot of people know this but those who don't it it just means unaccounted for inventory means it got stolen what it means 400 million 
You freaking crooks, and we're all paying for that. I think damaged goods also goes in that. It does. It's a tiny sliver. That ain't what happened in the Target, so. It's ridiculous. Crooks. And to a great extent, condoned, honestly. Certainly not ever discussed by the Democrat Party in charge. They would never attribute it to their woke justice policies and and their reduction of funding for police and police now hesitant often just to do their jobs and arrest people for fear of some sort of repercussions. It's ridiculous. So a lot of people are texting in about the gas situation. He didn't he wasn't clear. So people are saying, well it was one eighty seven on election day in twenty. Well, I gotta tell you, he wasn't clear because what he was primarily prefacing his statements was when we left office. And so if what you're saying now is that with respect to the price of gas, which I believe we're splitting hairs here, and I said that, by the way, folks, before I announced it, but where is it 5 6 7 or $8? It's not, except in one state, five, five and change. Maybe that those statements, that language could have been better structured. Maybe it would make sense to consider the average under his watch versus the average under Joe Biden's watch. That would make the point easily. Two numbers that you would recite. But as it stands, it opens it up to debate the way the statement was structured. But that's beside the point. It's not six, seven, or eight bucks anywhere as well. So that, that just kind of diminishes, in my view, the, the value of it. But now, let's be honest. What is important is that Trump was, no doubt, in favor of reducing and eliminating regulations and cutting through the red tape to allow the fossil fuels industry to thrive. And he sent a message, we're going to stay out of your way. We're not looking to shut you down. There's no question that we had an abrupt change when Joe Biden took office, went on his first day, as we discussed so many times, he signed 32 executive orders, and in every single one of them, climate change was prioritized. And since then, he's made it very clear, I want to put the fossil fuels industry out of business. So there's, there's no doubt there's a huge difference in their approach in policy positions and in, in philosophy and we're all paying the price for that, no doubt. I, I completely agree with that. And and we've called for that to be one of the first things that Republican-controlled House addresses. I, I've said it here. I take every one of those dang anti-fossil fuels executive orders signed by President Biden, and I'd accumulate those in, in a bill, and only that in the bill, to reverse, to have them reversed through that legislation and send it through the Congress, the halls of Congress, and get up-down votes on it, 
doesn't look like, but it could be that we could get sufficient votes in the Senate, even with it being in Democrat control. That would be even better. Send it to the Oval Office and let him veto it. Can't override it, but you get it all on the record. Oh, so, and you could effectively use that in the next campaign. Oh, so you don't want the price of gas to come down for the American people. You want to keep it elevated. You showed as much with your vote. That's how the game is played, and it's true. Barack Obama, we played the tape the other day. Electric prices would necessarily have to skyrocket under my cap-and-trade plan. We played it. He said it. That's 14 years ago. So, no, I'm not denying that it was 187 in October 2020, that text on the 662. I'm denying that it was when he left office, which is the way he had prefaced every statement coming up to that. Break time, coming right back. Welcome to the show that challenges you to think deeply deeply. and look beyond political posturing. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Back everyone, midday Super Talk Mississippi live from the Element Well Studios on this Hump Day. Joining us now is Matthew McLaughlin, the co-founder of Fertile Ground Beer, and Brian Drennan, president of Capital City Beverages. Matthew, Brian, thanks for coming on Middays, guys. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. All right, Matthew, you always got your hands in all sort of stuff. What do you got going on now here? <laughs> well, we uh, we started a brewery. Um, uh, so back in May, we opened um, Fertile Ground in the Bellhaven neighborhood. Uh, probably about a two-year process to get to that point. Um Planning it in the midst of a global pandemic presented some challenges, uh, as you can imagine. Um, but we are we are open and we are filling up the tap room with bodies. And I guess two weeks ago went into distribution with Capital City, and we are now getting beer out throughout the the metro area. Wow. So, uh, who approached whom here? Did you go to Capital City say, "Hey, look, we got this new uh, this new beer. We'd like you to consider distributing it." Or, or Brian, were you aware of it? And did you approach Matthew? How'd that come about? So, we were aware that they were looking. Um, had conversations uh, with one of their founders, Matt Jeffries, uh, who who has a lot of he had distributor experience, restaurant uh, experience. So, I uh, had conversations with them. We're not no, sure when the time was was uh, they were going to distribute. One thing I'll say is that there are brewers that come out and immediately want to try to distribute. Yeah. Um, and what we were really impressed with, they took their time. They got the tap room running and uh, really got uh, the quality of the beer. And and uh, so we had those conversations after they uh, started brewing beer. Gotcha. All right, so, Matthew, there's a lot of beer out there. How do you come up with a formula that says, hey, this is different, taste this? Well, um, I hope we have. Uh, sure. Time will tell. Um, you know, I think – you know, Mississippi has sort of lagged behind the rest of the country with respect to craft beer. Um, we had a brewery in Jackson for a while, uh, Lucky Town, um, which closed a few years back. And um, we saw a void in the market. We we really wanted to 
provide a, a, a space as much as as much as a brewery and put good quality beer out in the market. We wanted to provide a space, a taproom space where people could come and hang out and, and be that sort of you know cohesive glue in the community, if you will. Um, I don't think I ever would have done this if it weren't for the location of where the the brewery is, which is in the Bellhaven neighborhood. Um, that neighborhood presents us with some unique advantages uh, over other parts of the metro area. We're in a neighborhood. We've got two thousand rooftops within walking distance. Um, we have a large hospital system right across the street. We've got. Um, UMMC, we have Fondren. There's just a, a, a density there that yeah. um, you can't really achieve elsewhere. So it was uh, the location was 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 critically important and and really really one of the main reasons why we did this. So are you now? You just had a grand opening here recently, right? In May we did. Yep. Okay. Yep. So are, is your plan to distribute beyond? This area beyond the borders of Mississippi or central Mississippi? Yeah, I so we we believe that healthy things must grow, and if this you know grows to the point where you know consumers are are wanting wanting it and pulling it through the market, then then absolutely. I mean, our focus right now is central Mississippi to the exclusion of of almost everywhere else. Um, we want this to be. We want this to be Jackson and Central Mississippi's brand. We want it to be adopted. We want people to be proud of it. Um, and until we hit a point where we've got a certain amount of volume in this market, we're gonna we're not gonna we're not gonna go out from here right now. What's the demand been like? Right. Well, it's been good, and, and we've only launched uh, on premise, so it's been uh, very it's been I limited to restaurant bars. But uh, the reception's been great. We uh, the one thing they've done is they brewed beers that are very drinkable, uh, lagers and pilsners. They have IPAs and pale and pale ale, but we've uh, we've gone to the market with a lager. Uh, and uh, and reception's been great. And uh, our issue now is just getting more beer from them. Yeah. So Matthew, if someone uh, is informed and becomes aware. Uh, fertile ground beer, and they say, "Hey, what what kind of beer is it? What does it taste like? How do you describe it?" You know, uh, so we are we we are trying to make something available for everyone. That's sort of what we lead with. But at at the end of the day, um, we're in Jackson, Mississippi. It is incredibly hot down here a lot of the year, and we don't think that. Craft has really done a good job of kind of reaching across the aisle to people that have historically consumed larger, more macro-oriented products. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, Brian said, you know, we're kind of leading with lagers and pilsners and things. Those are beer- beers that we like to drink, but they're also they're also beers that Mississippians like to drink. We did a tremendous amount of market research with three NBA teams from Millsaps to kind of validate the thesis that we had and um so far it it's proven to be true so mm. whether you drink um you know a a traditional sort of macro beer that your dad or your grandfather drank uh, we've probably got something that you can relate to or if you're you know a hophead and have been into craft beer for 20 years and you like hazy dank or you know even sour beers that are fruited we've got we've got those for you too mm. So is there, uh, Brian, is there kind of a community of beer aficionados, of connoisseurs that like to test these different products out, these different beers out in blends and 
and just make decisions there. I'm just thinking about, like, wine tasters and wine folks, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the things is uh, our goal is is when we get it on tap at a restaurant we don't or bar, we don't want to just put something else on. We want to grow the brand. I think the benefit um, that Fertile has is the, the location they're in. They can be the ones that really test new beers. Yeah. And so they can have 16 beers on tap. They can have sours and IPAs. Um, and then – when they see the demand and, and uh, what people uh, like to drink, then that's when they bring it to us and we can take it uh, to the market. And then uh, eventually, hopefully in the spring, we'll be taking it in cans to uh, convenience stores and grocery stores across the entire market. Gotcha. Matthew, is, is this a, a product beer in general where uh, you, you introduce a brand new one? And based on feedback and reception, you may change the formula a little bit. Um, yeah, yeah, we you can. Yeah, it, it's not necessarily about the f- formula changing. It's more about the portfolio may change a little bit. So um, I'll I'll give you an example. We have what we call our core four, which is a German style pilsner, a Helles light mm-hmm. lager, a pale ale, and um, what is an IPA that is kind of a blend of a West Coast and a and a, and a New England style IPA. Um, those were the four that we chose based on the research that we did. And we are mining in real time our sales data in the tap room and making adjustments based on people's preferences. Sure. We we internally talk all the time about making data-driven decisions. Um, and so we may not make as much of one product if it is not selling. So it's not necessarily altering the recipe. It's more altering the portfolio approach. And then coupling that with the data that – Capital City is getting on the retailer side, um, we're going to kind of overlay that, too, and, and hopefully get really, really hyper-focused on the appropriate mix of what people in the market want. Is there any sort of trading of information with respect to recipes or formulas, or, or are you talking about data-driven uh, principles, like associations, groups of, sure. of uh, brewers? Yeah, um, yeah. There, so there's a national trade association, the Brewers Association, which is um, kind of the the trade association for the profession on a national basis. And then kind of underneath that, you have state guilds, which really started out as more of a true guild, you know, where artisans come to share ideas and secrets and stuff. And they've now sort of morphed into more um, advocacy arms for the industry at the at the state level. But, yeah, it's um, it, it is a, a an open and transparent industry where information is shared a lot. I have to put my lawyer hat on a lot of times because some of the things that people want to talk about are protected trade secrets. Yeah. yeah. So um, it, that's a difficult mm-hmm. balance. But um, but, yeah, recipes are freely shared there's books that are published that have you know recipes in them gotcha. and things like that so kind of uh open source i guess as that's we a good would way say, to, good in way the to, it yeah, world right uh, that's right brian is there is there a trend uh, amongst consumers maybe away from the traditional well-known popular beers to craft or is it just kind of two different segments of the market i think that uh mississippi the i think the benefit that we have right now is there's so much growth potential for craft um we have seen craft grow uh not at the levels as other states but i think as we improve the beer culture and get more um, people into the tap rooms and educate them i think that is going to grow and we'll seek and continue to see that trend but 
as far as restaurants and bars, I mean, they want new brands and sure. they want uh, different styles of beer. And, uh, you know, so our job is to get it out there. Um, and then once they've uh, been drinking it at their bar restaurant, then they'll see it in their, then the convenience store or grocery store and pick it yeah, up. Yeah, and i got, I got to believe that probably builds some consumer loyalty. They know that they, they carry, they serve that Absolutely. sort of beer. They like that, and that's where they go. And we want them coming every time they're in there. We want them buying a fertile ground. You want them to, to, to that be their beer. Makes total sense. Gentlemen, thanks for coming on. Fascinating. Appreciate Good luck it. to you. Thanks. You guys, too, with that. Yeah. Thank you. Glad we're doing this in Mississippi, too. Thank you. Great. Yep. We'll take a break right here on Middays in the Element Well Studios. We're coming right back. Stay with us. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. We're rolling. Hit it. Go. Play it. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. In the Element Well Studios, Super Talk Mississippi. So on the ceasefire text line, which by the way is quite active today, Rhino. You can certainly support whoever is on the ceasefire text line. You can support whoever you choose, but if it's not Trump, we can certainly choose to spend our advertisement budget on stations that do support Trump. You make that decision. Well, honestly, it's not our decision to make. And I would just remind you that the views expressed here, the disclaimer that is read before the show starts, are the opinion of the host here. Don't necessarily represent those of the station. I don't know what the station's. I don't know. We hadn't talked about it. They don't tell me which I think comes as a shock to a lot of people in the outside world. Would you oh, agree? Yeah. The, there, there's a slice of the pie that believes there's a guy in a nice black suit with an earpiece and a suitcase handcuffed <laughs> to his wrist every morning, and he delivers what we're supposed to say. Yeah, doesn't happen. No. It just simply doesn't happen. And in fact, the people that manage this place know that if that were the case, this wouldn't be a successful business. You know what I'm saying? I know you know what I'm saying. It would not be. And I can assure you, I wouldn't sit in this chair if I were just a puppet to somebody else's views and whims. I go play golf. (laughs) Not today, though. It's cold. (laughs) In my younger day, I would when it's cold like this. I don't know. Bones don't work as well. He's got to keep the blood flowing. (laughs) Exactly got to walk the course can't ride <laughs> well i do i want you to know that when it's cold it's from about october or so late october through about april i'm a walker my group 
because we're old and we need the exercise primarily. <laughs> it's always interesting to go out there, and it's the young folks, they're in the carts. And us old folks, we're walking because we need that exercise. We they replied have... with, your words have consequences. They do? I didn't know. Not nearly as much as a sitting or former president, I would say. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm flattered. I didn't know we were that powerful. Honestly. And in fairness, I will give Trump a, a bit of advice. So if anybody is listening that has an end with Trump, here's a bit of advice. A little forward thinking, a little planning ahead for the debate stage. Because I can almost guarantee anybody worth their weight on that debate stage with him will offer a question similar to this. And he needs to have a good response or it could sink his entire campaign. The question he's going to be asked is, do you admit that you lost the 2020 election? Simply because the 22nd Amendment states that no person shall be elected to the office of presidents more than twice. It's absolutely since he's true. he's running, he's trying to win for the second time. That's going to be a question that gets asked. I'm not dogging him for saying that. In fact, I'm telling you, out in the ether here, he's got to have a good response to that. Yeah, because it's going to get asked. There's no question. That That's already been calculated. Oh, yeah. It's going to get asked. There's no question about that. And it's a great point, our rhino. Uh, Thomas and Greenwood says, you got to quit nibbling around the edges and take a bite, Gerard, or will it be easier once Herschel loses? I'm not sure exactly what you mean altogether. Those who denounce the moral fallacy of this argument are usually accused of germ-proof moralism, which is alien to political circumstances of evil, says Hannah Arendt. I'm not sure who that is exactly. Do you know who's that? Uh, I, I'm not... It's not about nibbling or taking a bite. I I don't I don't know what you're talking about, honestly, Thomas. I, all I've done is analyze what was forty eight a forty eight minute speech, and I haven't gotten into all of it. Just a few of those things. I watched it in its entirety, and there were yeah. If we had a a bone to pick with Trump, we would have probably started with his. Frankly, asinine comment that you need to just give the death penalty to every drug dealer. That's true. That's, That's not a winnable platform plank. One it of, may get a crowd riled up, but it's that's not something you can really campaign on. That's that's a good point. Uh, I, my see, my concern in my my goal is to nominate the candidate who has the best chance of changing the party and control of the White House. That's it. If Donald Trump emerges as the nominee, I'm down. I'm not one of these never-Trumper fools, and I never have been. I gave him money and voted for him. And while he was in office, I lauded his accomplishments. And most of that occurred before I started doing the show. I lauded his accomplishments and his policies, and I condemned those with which I disagreed. Simple as that. Uh, I, I've never been a fan of his of his demeanor, and but like so many other people, and his personality, like so many other people, I was willing to overlook that. I just said, you know what? That's just the baggage you got to deal with for 
having somebody in office that had the right idea about how to run the country. And gosh, Rhino, how many times have I called out that the, the single thing that stuck in my mind more than anything while he was president was that first G20 summit he went to, which I thought was totally appropriate. When he, he kind of elbowed and shouldered his way to the front of the pack, which is where this country ought to be. And I don't think other presidents would do that. Barack Obama went around apologizing when he got elected, took Winston Churchill's bust out of the White House because of some riff with him and his grandfather. Remember that crap? And Joe Biden, he's so dang clueless. He's just feeble and weak, and he gets rolled, seems like, everywhere he goes. He doesn't. So the, the America First agenda, I'm all for it. But it's not like Trump has the franchise on that. And what he said last night was, I am the only person that can restore glory to this country. I don't believe that. I don't believe he's the only person out of 330 million with such unique skills. I think there are other people out there that are going to surface. I don't know if it's Governor DeSantis or not, but I think there are other people out there that share in, believe in, his America First vision, and support that without all the baggage. And they, they, therefore, I believe, are more electable. And that's what I'm looking for, the most electable candidate. And my policy is, when I go to vote, and my candidate's not on the ballot after a primary loss, I vote for the most conservative on the ballot. It's just simple as that. So if he, again, if he's able to capture the nomination, I'm for it. And somebody said earlier something about the RNC uh, dumping on him. I, I haven't seen that either. It, RNC's, I don't think it's weighed in that I've seen. There have been no statements. And honestly, that's consistent with their protocol. For right now, we only have one candidate in the primary, him. He did officially file yesterday with the Federal Elections Commission, which is where you got to start to qualify. There's, nobody else has. He may be the only one. If he is, I'm supporting him. If he's not, i got to honestly take a look at the other candidates. I don't, I don't just – I'm not just blindly loyal. I don't think that's healthy either. And I would invite others to consider that. And yesterday, I know I made the statement that I've seen folks out there in social media world say, well, he deserves it. Well, I don't think anybody deserves it based on historical performance. No. You deserve it when you earn the respect and the belief and the confidence of a voter going forward. Now, that could be because of your, your being pleased with prior performance. Fair enough. But that nobody's entitled to public office. Nobody deserves it. Well, i got to vote for them because they deserve it. Well, how do you define deserve, anyhow? I mean, what, is, what does that mean exactly? So I'm certainly not in that, in that camp. I just, but I do believe that it would be very difficult for him to defeat 
and win a general election, defeat a Democrat candidate. I don't know who that could be. Nobody knows at this point. Right now, by all accounts, Joe Biden says he's running. Can he defeat Joe Biden? Honestly, I don't know. My sense is it'd be tough. It'd be difficult. And he would not have as good a chance as other candidates would. That's where my concern lies. We're coming right back here in the Element Well Studios. A lot more to talk about. Shawaski Young at 12.05. Stay with us. Okay, is everybody ready? I'm ready. Ready here. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Come in with a guitar and bust it up here on the set when you're playing that. A la Pete Townsend, uh, right? Let's see. Leslie and Grenada weighs in. A show like what's on now, I guess you're talking about ours, is what is causing division in the Republican Party. We will end up with four more years of Democrat control. This is no more than what Roger Wicker and Lindsey Graham have done. You should get behind the party and not run none of them down and wait until we have got to choose from. Now you remind me of Phil Bryant. Remember, he endorsed John Kasich, and when Trump got the nomination, he sucked up to him like he was the greatest thing since sliced bread. Well, uh, a couple of things. That's Leslie and Grenade. Appreciate the text, uh, Leslie. Uh, the party has not gotten behind any candidate and won't until the nomination has been determined. It's not the within the party's protocol to support any candidate during the general, uh, pardon me, the primary. They have to wait until the general. That's the way it should be. The party should not throw its weight behind or endorse any, can, any candidate. We only have one today. We got a long way to go until we see the uh, the field. That's uh, going to be a while. I would say, Rhino, late next year, probably, when we start seeing them appear together in debates. Isn't that about when it gets cranked up? Uh, yeah, you'll probably have a better idea of the field by July 4th, and then they'll start cranking up debates middle of the summer, early fall. Okay. This year? Uh, 23? 23, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then, let's see, 
primaries get kicked off. Or maybe not debates, but you'll have the caucuses. You'll the, have the caucuses, early caucuses, that's yeah. right. But I was thinking in terms of uh, when would the Iowa primary, it's a summer, isn't it, at their state fair time in the late summer, it seems, as I recall. That's when things really get to kicking up. Uh, let's see, primary, I'm looking for that, um, for 2024. But I, I want to say, the let's see, that usually gets kicked off in, this says November 5th? No, that's the election. So anyhow, we'll figure that out. I, I, it just seems like it's sometime late summer is when Iowa starts its uh, it's the first primary in the country and then New Hampshire followed by New Hampshire and we'll see when when all that gets cranked up but anyhow that that those are very telling very instructive as you can imagine because as the primaries are held in the sequentially in the states that's when they start falling out because the money runs out it kind of determines it's it's a an indicator. What do you see when that uh, occurs? I can't find it, but I, I swear I think it's um, toward the It end. may be hard to find because it looks like there have been changes made, at least on the Democrat side, and uh, Iowa and New Hampshire might not be guaranteed their first-in-the-nation status. Well, I knew there's been some question about that, but we'll, uh, we'll see if we find out about that. Uh, New Hampshire, 2024, it, it comes up as well right in the, on the heels, generally speaking, historically speaking, of of Iowa, and uh, th- th- again, there, there. In fact, there are polls right now that uh, I have seen with respect. Club for Growth published polls yesterday. The Iowa caucus. Oh, by the way, uh, I thought they had a date here. No, they don't. The Iowa caucus. They have some polls there, and the New Hampshire primary. And DeSantis, it shows DeSantis, Trump, and undecided. The week of November 11th through the 13th, which would have been last week, DeSantis leads Trump 48 to 37 with 16% undecided. In New Hampshire, it's 52 in favor of DeSantis, 37 Trump, 11 undecided. Florida, 56 DeSantis, 30 Trump, 14 Undecided. That those are figures published by the Club for Growth on November the fourteenth. So, just a couple of days ago, Club for Growth's a big national political action committee that supports conservative candidates and Republican candidates in general at the national level. Uh, so, anyhow, that's. I just want to point out that the party. Uh, I'm not trying to. To be at odds with the party, the party has not endorsed any candidate, has not endorsed Donald Trump, because he's the only candidate that's announced formally in the uh, primary, the Republican primary. I don't know about Roger Wicker and Lindsey Graham. I'm not sure, Leslie, what you mean by that. So I'm totally behind the party, and I'm totally behind whoever the nominee is. There's no question. But with a field in the primary, I haven't said who I'm supporting this point all we have is one that has announced we're just analyzing and uh, projecting his uh, 
his chances and analyzing his statements. Nothing more or less at this point. I don't know about Phil Bryant and John Kasich. I do know that Lieutenant Governor Hoseman, I want to say that he supported initially Kasich. I remember Andy Taggart as well, well-known did. Uh, and Kasich, honestly, when he was in the House years ago, he was a pretty rational person. I don't know what happened to him when he ran for president. He just kind of went off on the deep end. And uh, I uh, was invited to a couple of events he had here in town and and uh, elected not to attend. I just couldn't get behind the guy. I didn't, I didn't align with his views and his positions whatsoever. I think I found the root cause of that misunderstanding. Okay. On Super Tuesday during the uh, 2020 election, no, 2016, excuse me, during the 2016 election on Super Tuesday, John Kasich held his Super Tuesday watch party in Jackson. And many of the state's leaders, including... Delbert Hoseman, Phil Bryant, and others were in attendance and spoke. I rem- and that's what but I that recall. That wasn't an endorsement. Okay, that's what I recall. Um, but I do think Andy Taggart actually endorsed. Now, you may not see there. I mean, he's not at the same level at the time. I want to say that event was was held in our backyard here at the, at the Hilton on County Line Road as I recall. And I also think he came, I want to say he came to Mississippi College. That's what I'm thinking for an event. Kasich I'm talking about. Hmm. Interesting. But that's that's neither here nor there at this point. It was it was just a statement that uh, that Leslie made that I wanted to pass on. Tim McGee says, what is the Senate as of today as far as Republican and Democrat? Well, as of today, of course, Tim, it's 50-50 now as far as the the post-midterm elections. It's 50-49 in favor of the Democrats. And there's one race remaining, that being the Georgia race. And there's going to be a runoff to determine who wins that election on December the 6th. If Herschel Walker, Republican, emerges victorious, we're back to 50-50 with Kamala Harris having the deciding vote. If he loses to incumbent Democrat Raphael Warnock, it's 51-49 in favor of the Democrats. The House is uh, still not totally determined. There, that Last night there were some reports that the magical 218 number required to control the, the chamber was in hand, but that seemed to be a bit premature. Still sits at, uh, last I checked this morning, 217 in favor of the Republicans to what uh, I think there's 212? Maybe not quite 212. Uh, I think there's a nine, is there a nine seat delta there? So what are you saying? Uh, according to the AP, it's 217 to 209. 209. Okay. That's where I got the nine from. So that means there are nine seats outstanding. The latest returns I saw had Republicans leading in four of the nine. If everything stays exactly like it is right now, let's just cut to the chase. It's 221 Republicans and 214 Democrats. So 
seven-seat advantage for Republicans. That's assuming that the races stay where they are, and it looks like they probably are. They likely are. Hopefully we'll get those final returns today. Coming back here in the Element Well studio. Stay with us. It's so awesome! Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Come on, let's get on with the show! On Super Talk Mississippi. Garfunkel with a hazy shade of winter. You know, the Bangles re-recorded that as well. Oh, yeah. All-girls 80s band. Didn't have the brass section, though, did it? Nope. I think that was synthesizers. <laughs> I still follow Susanna Hoffs, the lead singer, guitarist as well for the Bangles. They were popular during their day. Pretty cool to watch them perform. All-girls bands just are intriguing to me. Pretty cool. And who can forget their uh, infamous walk like an Egyptian? Yeah, that was good, wasn't it? The other big one from the 80s, the Go-Go's, of course. Belinda Carlisle. Our Lips Are Sealed. Great classic 80s video, by the way. Back in the MTV days when they actually played music, television videos. <laughs> On the ceasefire text slide, Rob in Hattiesburg. I love Trump. He is unelectable now. DeSantis, 24. Terry's upholstery. Watched it, loved it. Talking about Trump's speech. Going to vote for him again. Love DeSantis and will vote for him if he gets the nod or if Trump wasn't running. Donald Trump is still the best president we've had in modern times. Trump 2024. Mose says, Donald, you're boring repeating uh, the video we played earlier. Did you consider that could have been Democrat plans to stir the pot? Yeah, we did, and we talked about that, Mose. It, it could be, though. I'm not sure they get through the security, though. I, I just don't know. I can't believe anybody could just show up at that deal. I think it was an invite only. But I could be wrong. It's not well, deep. I mean, there was a large swath of media there, and we all know media really loves Trump, don't they? Yeah. Not going to make uh, – oh, that's from yesterday. If uh, Hillary, I've come so far. Too far. Huh? That's William and Greenville. I'm not following you there, William. Help me out, buddy. Get rid of the Electoral College, says Walter in Tupelo, and the GOP won't touch the White House. Since Reagan, the GOP candidate has won the popular vote once. Yeah, we've we've actually discussed that numerous times here on the program, Walter, which is exactly why I've made the assertion that winning the White House comes down to about a dozen counties in four states at the end of the day as it did in 16. And uh, we remarked and and um, praised Trump for having the, the good sense, the Trump campaign, to really hit those states hard leading up to Election Day. Remember Hillary said she was tired or something and went home? And, and uh, remember the incident where... Did she slip or something trying she to get... She fainted. Fainted, that's what it was. They had to muscle her into the van. 
Yeah, and, and Trump, I mean, the guy has endless energy. There's no doubt. And so he very wisely, smartly, within a very compressed period of time leading up to the election on Tuesday, he goes to those states that he knew he had to carry in order to prevail. I honestly think that tipped it in his favor. I'm not sure he wins were it not for that last-minute campaigning. And, of course, all the channels were covering those debates, uh, excuse me, those rallies live, and I think it made a difference. I mean, it showed me this guy works, and there's no question in my mind that he works his rear off. That's never a question. I, I do think he does, and I do think he wants the best for the country, and I'm completely supportive of his America First agenda and philosophy and vision. Completely supportive. I'm just concerned that not enough people where they need to be think like me and us and would cast their ballot accordingly. So Rhino brought up an interesting point. I've made it clear that while I would like to see an alternative win the nomination that I think has a better chance of of succeeding in the general election, if he is the nominee, unequivocally, I will support him and vote for him. The question, as Rhino shared with me, that we should pose is to those who are presently today, right now, they're all in for Trump, no matter who else might enter the field. Will you support the eventual nominee on the Republican side if it does not turn out to be Donald Trump? It's a it's a fair question. I, I think in many cases we have gotten to be too binary in, in this issue. And uh, and again I would invite folks to consider what's in the best interest of the country, not the party, the country. Right now you gotta think about what's the best interest of the country. But the route to that is through the party in the primaries. That's the way our system works. So and we may disagree on who's got the best chance of, uh, of winning out in a general. That's fine. And we'll have those primary debates and we'll analyze. I've offered my opinion on that, uh, but I've also stated if Trump is the eventual nominee, I'm down. Simple as that. I hope those that are all into Trump right now feel the same about an alternative candidate, if that's the outcome. Shawaski Young, former candidate, Mississippi's 3rd Congressional District, coming on after the break. Get ready. Get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Hour three of midday, Super Talk Mississippi. We are coming at you live from the Element Well Studios on this hump day. Joining us now, Shawaski Young, former candidate for Mississippi's 3rd Congressional District. Shawaski, thanks for coming on midday. It's good to see you again. Gerard, thank you so very much for having me back on the show. 
I uh, hope you can hear me okay. Yes, sir. We got you loud and clear. Thank you. So I um, I reviewed your post-election response, as it is titled, a statement that you made and issued that uh, the day after Election Day, November the 9th, is when it is dated. And I'll just uh, I, I'll read, if, if you're okay with it, sir, the first paragraph. Please. I take full responsibility for our dismissal loss last night to the 49,725-plus Mississippians who showed up and supported our efforts. I thank you from the bottom of my heart. To those who did not vote, I still stand with you in solidarity. And you went on to congratulate uh, Congressman Guest, etc. And and you and I, of course, visited, uh, I think, first... At the Neshoba County Fair, as I recall, that's right. Um, uh, this past summer, and and then you were discussing your campaign, your plans, etc. So, I I just first want to say, it's refreshing to see. I don't know that if you and I agree too terribly much on on policy matters and issues, and that's fine. But nonetheless, sure. it's refreshing to see. Uh, a person that runs for political office and, and enters the fray of politics and is willing to state and declare, I take responsibility. So I, I just want you to know that my hat's off to you for that. I respect that. I appreciate it. And I think we need more of that. And I'm talking about across the entire political spectrum. I'm not referring to yep. any specific yep. party or candidates or states or locales whatsoever. I'm speaking in very general terms. I think people, I think voters respond positively to people who are willing to use the old, the buck stops with me. Uh, attitude, and we don't have enough of that, in my opinion, in our political yes. realm. Yes. I just want to point that out, and I'll be quiet and let you, let you tell us about uh, your thoughts about the election last week. Well, again, th- thank you so very much for having me on, and, and thank you so very much for your, your gracious words and uh, acknowledging that point. And I wholeheartedly agree with you. You know, we need more people to uh, you know, accept responsibility uh, when we don't get the results that, you know, we always look for. Uh, overall, I'm so happy about the folks that actually did turn out in this race. Uh, we had a lot of work to do. It was an uphill battle. And one of the things that I'm sure uh, is that, you know, we have left the party uh, as a whole in a better situation. So I'm looking forward to how we can move forward in the future. Yeah. Do you have future political aspirations at this point, uh, Shawaski? Are you calling well, it sure, a day? Sure. One of the things. I'm, I'm sorry. One second. I'm, I'm sorry. We, I'm sorry. We are we live right now. Sorry about that. No problem. Uh, the, the future aspirations uh, right now uh, is really to maintain my status within the Democratic Party and to make sure uh, that we're moving forward in a way uh, that's going to help bring the party together. Right. Uh, that's going to be a lot of work. We got a lot of changes to take at the uh, state Democratic Party level, and I'm looking forward to working with folks on that particular issue. Okay. So, did, were you surprised at the outcome uh, uh, in the nation, not just in your particular race, but did, did you expect a different outcome than mm-hmm. what we got? A- absolutely. I was very surprised that you know Mississippi actually led the nation uh, with the lowest voter rate. 
Uh, I apologize about the, the, the noise in the back. Excuse me. Um, I, we actually had the lowest turnout in the entire nation at 30, about 32 percent. Mm -hmm. uh, that was something that was very surprising. And as Frank Brodo, uh, Brodo said with the Republican Party uh, here in Mississippi, uh, look, they turned out at over about 70 percent across the state. You know, so it's always good to see folks actually uh, being involved in the political process. But for the most part, uh, look, I'm not going away in Mississippi politics. Uh, as I stated in that release, I, I won't be on the ballot at the top of the ticket in 2023. Uh, but I will be working uh, very closely with Democrats all across the state uh, to make sure uh, that our party is going in the right direction. And that starts with the change of leadership at the top, as I'm sure you're aware of that I've called for. You have. Uh, what would you like to see out of the Democrat Party in Mississippi that you feel like is missing? Well, number one, a couple of steps. They, the, the state executive committee uh, will be meeting, I believe, in the first week of December. At that particular meeting, they must call a vote uh, on the matter uh, and talk about this particular issue in the state party leadership. Uh, they so, so decide not to, then we need to know publicly who those folks are uh, that are standing in the roadblock of success. Uh, I do know that uh, there are folks from the NAACP, from the state house, uh, both on the house and also uh, Senate side, as well as volunteers and Democrats all over the state that want to see a change at the top um, of the uh, Democratic Party as far as Chairman Urban leaving. That's number one. Uh, number two, uh, it's not fair to the new executive director who just started, I believe, on last week, by the way, uh, to come into a situation where, you know, it's in disarray. Uh, and I think that person is working hard to try to get an understanding of what the heartbeat of the party is throughout the entire state and what's on the ground. Uh, but, look, we've got to support that person. That starts with a change in leadership at the top. We also have to make sure that those folks that are county executive party leaders, uh, chairmen uh, and chairwomen within the 3rd Congressional District and in the entire state. I've received calls from all of them all over the state right now. Some of those folks have to go. They've been sitting in those positions for 15 and 20 years in some cases, and uh they're not doing their job, quite frankly, you know, and what's interesting about this point is that, you know, it's always something when people uh, know this is going on, but don't want to talk about it openly. They don't want to talk about it publicly as well. Uh, and when someone actually speaks out against it, uh, now all of a sudden everyone is in agreement, you know, so the party leader need uh, the party needs leadership. The, the folks are out there that want to do well in the state uh, and we're not going to be able to. It's not about competing with the Republicans. It's about moving Mississippi forward together. And I want to be able to help lead that effort. Um, I will, you know, of course, run for office in the future again. Uh, but right now, I definitely want to focus on my little girl who's eight years old, who uh, has basically told me, Daddy, I can't take another year of this. Uh, so, you know, we did win this race. Uh, so I'm going to be, you know, working here in Mississippi uh, and also uh, making sure that family's first. Uh, and then, you know, when the time is right, whether that's 2024 or uh, 2026, you know, um, I'll be, I'll definitely be back. But in the meantime, I'll stay, you know, uh, in Democratic Party politics. I'll stay uh, talking with media. Uh, I'm being reached out right now to close this point uh, from so many people around the state, uh, including polling firms that want my input on how we can move the Democratic Party forward. Uh, so there's a role for me here. Uh, I, I love Mississippi. I love this country. Uh, and I want to be able to see us work together uh, in a bipartisan way. And more importantly, I want to see the party. Uh, be able to be one that's organized uh, and one that's respected uh, throughout the country. Right now, we're not seeing that. Any thoughts, Shawaski, on on why the GOP came up short of expectations last week? What what do you think? Uh, what do you think voters are thinking and not really pivoting as much as expected uh, to support Republican candidates? 
Are you referring to the, the midterm overall, uh, overall election turnout overall, across the country? Yeah. The, the, uh, okay. Right, the so, outcome across so, the country. So, sure. I think that about, what is it, 30 to about 35, maybe 40 percent, between 30 and 40 percent of Republicans um, are hard Trump supporters. Mm -hmm. uh, that is across the board in the United States. Uh, in Mississippi, of course, it's going to be probably higher than that. I think that where we are right now uh, as a country is that, look, people aren't satisfied with the fact that they can't pay their bills. Inflation is at an all-time high within the last 50 years. Uh, that the economy is not moving in a direction as fast as they would like to see it. Uh, and at the end of the day, uh, it doesn't matter if you're talking about social policy or any entitlement programs and things of that nature. Uh, people want to be able to pay their bills. It's always the economy, stupid, remember? And it's not going to change from that. I think that people want to be able to see leaders who can get along with each other. Uh, look, back in the days of Ronald Reagan or, or Judge W. Bush and things like that, you saw actual Democrats uh, like Tip O'Neill and other people work together with Republicans. Right now, we're not seeing that across the country. I think people are hungry for that. And this divisive politics on both the Republican and also Democratic side, it's just not going to be something I think that American people are going to have an appetite for. Hmm. I think that contributed to um, what we saw uh, in the midterm election. Do you feel like that um, some of the rhetoric coming out of a President Biden describing Republicans as extremists and the end of democracy and, and, and that sort of statements, do you believe that was a factor? Do you believe that affected voters? Not only do I believe it affected voters, I think it also affected my own race uh, here in Mississippi. Uh, that was, you know, kind of some of our tagline uh, points uh, in the, early on in the campaign, you know. Uh, this extremism and things of that nature and tying that to Donald Trump in January 6th and all that good stuff. I don't think that that was a, a good move on our part. Um, I take full responsibility for that point as well. Uh, nobody likes to be looked at as an extremist uh, when that's not the majority of what the American people believe and think about themselves, yeah. regardless of party affiliation. Shawaski, uh, good to talk to you. And uh, first of all, take care of that eight-year-old, will you? I know you will. That's the most important oh, yeah. thing. Oh, yeah. And, uh, she wants good. to be an astronaut. we got to support that. There you go. Good luck on your future endeavors. Thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Sorry about the boys going to be in. No problem. We're coming right back, folks, in the Element Well studio. Stay with us. Back to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone, to Middays. Super Talk Mississippi. Rick and Gulfboard said he saw the Go Go's and uh, at the Hot Club, H O T T K L U B B, in Dallas in the early 80s. Talked to their guitarist about dogs until the other members ran me off. I wish I had gotten to talk to Susanna Hoffs. She got better looking with time and developed her talents. Charlotte, I think it was Caffey was her name. I think you spell it Shabby. I want to say it was Caffey. She actually made a record on her own as well. She was the bassist, I think. Really needed her bandmates to keep her out of trouble. Didn't work out so well. That's cool. Thanks for letting me know on that, Rick. 
Uh, ben from Madison says, very interesting conversation. I may not agree with Mr. Young about a lot, but he seems genuine and well-spoken. I, I agree. Seem, uh, also, Ben from Madison says that, that Trump seemed low energy to me and that I thought your analysis was spot on. Sometimes you have to call a spade a spade. I, honestly, I, I think he was coached um, into being a little more reserved and staying out of the mud and avoiding, once again, hostile statements towards others. He did that. And yesterday we even said, I hope that he focuses on content, not that. So, I mean, I'll say it. I was pleasantly surprised, honestly. Whether or not that's enough to overcome his resume to uh, sweep him into office and, again, win those squishy few counties, it's crazy how it's worked out that way, but it just has. Uh, I don't know. My personal opinion is it's not. And I I think Rhino makes a great point. Is he willing to to stand down on this, the election was stolen narrative that, frankly, has been a key part of his conversation and his communication since then? Yeah, I mean. It's been embedded in it. If you remove the, the feelings associated with that and just look at it objectionably, it's hard to project your hopes and dreams and, and policy positions for the future if you're spending all your time and energy focused on the past. Yeah. Well, I guess so. I I just I, I think we need forward looking candidates. By the way, Chris Chris Atupolo is right. Susanna Hoffs was with the Bengals, Belinda Carlisle was the go go's, yeah. So I think Rick got it a little conflated. It's no big deal. I get it though. But uh, both girls' bands from the 80s, that's the main thing. And uh, very talented, very entertaining. Uh, let's see here. Something else. Oh, Aaron from Madison says he must be referring to Benny Thompson when he said been up there 30 years and quite, quite frankly is not doing his job. Yeah, I, I hear you, uh, Aaron. And so the thing about not doing his job is that's subjective. And <laughs> one person's not doing his job is another's. He's absolutely performing flawlessly. It's just unfortunate. That's because we can't agree on that stuff anymore. Why do they keep electing him? I don't know that you could claim it's election fraud. Is putting Benny Thompson in office? I don't think that's going on, honestly. Um, it, it's just a it's a different evaluation. It's different criteria. Yeah, Thomas and Greenwood says much the same. The Mississippi Democratic Party, you mean the all-Benny, all-the-time party. That's all they're concerned with. Thomas also makes an interesting point. Who motivates Democrats to vote more, Trump or literally anyone else? I, I don't think there's any question that Trump, fueled by left-wing media, uh, no doubt will energize the Democrat vote. I don't think there's any question. I, now, I personally think the obsession with Trump and the deep contempt, disdain for Trump as a person is ridiculous, off the chart, and really unproductive, honestly. Uh, tracking Rob Reiner on Twitter, it's gotten comical now. It's, I mean, he's just so obsessed with it. 
And it's it's unproductive. It just it's meaningless the crap he says out there. By the way, Mitch McConnell just reelected as the Senate minority leader. He fended off a challenge from Republican Senator from Florida, Rick Scott. So there you have that. Um, I, you know, my, my grievance with Mitch is that he tends to come from this old school next person in line attitude. I think that's a problem. His, uh, he's made statements in the past uh, election cycles that he and uh, the, the money he controls from the party only goes to in, incumbents when an incumbent's in a race. It doesn't matter who the challenger is, they're not getting any help. I think that's a problem, too. I don't think the Democrats operate that way. I think that's how we end up with folks in office for forever. It's hard to keep up with how the Democrats do things because they just keep changing their minds. Uh, that's I mean, true. Was it super delegates or whatever with Bernie versus Hillary? Yeah, forgot about that. Yeah, you're right about that. Forgot. Absolutely. Jeff says, and I agree with you, uh, as we just have seen with this election, the past election, the Republicans need someone who can unite people and maybe get a few votes from people who may be sitting on the fence. His personality, in my view, is uh, the cause for that. It's just, it's divisive in nature. Uh, Donald Trump says, you you know, you've heard a lot of people. I think most people have privately heard people say, yeah, really not don't care for the man that much as a person, but I do think it, that his policy views are spot on, and and uh, that's what we need. And that's kind of where I am as well. Gary from Tishomingo says, so thankful you just said that. I was beginning to wonder. I think Gary's talking about my declaration that, yeah, if Trump's the candidate uh, on the Republican ticket, I'm voting for him. Yeah, I, that's never been in question. Honestly, never. I think I've stated that countless times. I I just would uh, prefer to see an alternative. I don't know who that could be uh, to represent the Republicans in a general election for president. Some folks have asked, by the way, have any other candidates announced? No, they haven't. No. Nobody has. But, I mean, we could spitball. You're probably going to have a Marco Rubio throw his hat in the ring you're probably going to have ted cruz throw his hat in the ring i don't really see tim scott throwing his hat in the ring Mm -mm. as a presidential candidate he may be asked to be a vice presidential candidate but because he's a republican senator in a strongly red district or strongly red area that they wouldn't want to risk losing that i think that's right as a party but then again he, he may just decide to to hell with it. Run with it. Mike Pence. Mike Pence is one that could throw his hat in the ring, but I don't really see him getting a whole lot of traction. Glenn Youngkin. Uh, yeah, he, he seems to be toying with the idea. Not sure he's ready this cycle. I do think Scott as a VP on a ticket with uh, DeSantis would be strong. I do think that. that. Folks have talked about Nikki Haley possibly as a presidential candidate, as well as a VP. I think that's uh, something to consider as well. Uh, and then we'll you got see. dark horses like, does Sarah Palin try to run? Oh, I hope not. <laughs> oh, geez. So on the C Spire text line, the 662, Rob from Tupelo. With Trump, I don't think you can put lightning back in the bottle. Interesting observation there, Rob. Bo in Indianola says if Trump would come out, 
say 2020 is done and not trash other Republicans, sticks to policy, he wins. If he doesn't, he loses. That simple. That's an interesting thought as well, Bo, and you may absolutely be uh, right on that. He also reminds us that diesel is five bucks everywhere. I, I agree. I know that. And again, I, I think somehow, Rhino, with the text, we, we got into this hair splitting about the price of gas based on Trump's comments. I was just simply trying to point out that many things he said last night were not totally true. That's all I was trying to say. That that you got to do a little research and digging underneath the covers. We could split hairs all day long about the price of gas, of course. And again, I applaud his energy policy, which I think contributed to, uh, relatively speaking, certainly a lower price of gas than we all are seeing today. And I don't buy Joe Biden's nonsense that it's because of Putin. I don't buy that. I believe it's because of his policies, which are totally contradictory and diametrically opposed to Donald Trump's. But I would also say that I think Donald Trump's attitude towards the fossil fuels industry is shared by many on the Republican side. I've certainly seen a number of senators say the same thing. I've seen uh, Kevin McCarthy, who is poised to be the Speaker of the House, said the same thing as well. I hope he does what we talked about here is put those executive orders, codify them as being reversed to reverse them in a bill and send that over to the Senate and hopefully to the president making veto. I think that's critical to getting inflation down. Coming right back here, half an hour left in the Element Well Studios. You're listening to Middays with Gerard. Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. The waiting is the hardest part, no doubt about that. Didn't get to this yesterday, Rhino, but it's sex week again at Harvard. (laughs) We found this last year and uh, talked about it. It, uh, It came up again, got notified on it. Let's see, today, a Wednesday... 11-16, two sessions are scheduled. The first one, Not Your Gym Teacher's Sex Ed with the Center for Wellness and Health Program. That's 3 to 4 today in the Mount Auburn Room, the second floor of the Smith Center at Harvard. My So-Called Selfish Life, a reproductive rights film screening. That uh, will be the feature at 7 to 8 p.m., at Sever Hall 103, room 103. <laughs> it's just unbelievable. I know you were uh, a bit amused by this one, scheduled for Friday, 11 18, 6 to 8 p.m. 
vibrance, colon, black queer student mixer with, what is this, ABHW in all caps, and OSA. I wonder if those are some sort of student organizations on campus. Those acronyms mean something. I don't know. It's a very specific population they're going for. Yes. <laughs> very narrow, I would think. On Sunday, 1120, leave it all on the floor. Intro to strip teasing with Gilded Dance Studio. Sure, that will be. <laughs> this is crazy. This is Harvard. And and this is not anything new. It's been going on a while. Well, I just found out about it last year. It passed through one of the subscriptions I have that keeps up with this sort of nonsense going on college campuses. And And honestly, the title of this year's Sex Week, I can't say on the air. That's how crazy it's gotten. No shortage of explicit events at Harvard this week. These are student-led, student-organized events and observances. Gee, Will. There's a uh, lingerie party at one of the Ivy League University's dorm complexes, (laughs) according to the schedule of events. When... Like, when do they study stuff? It's just crazy. So, uh, Casey says, I will certainly vote for Trump, 2024. And I asked, in the primary, regardless of others in the field, she says, as of now, yes, he did what he said he would do. I trust him. Interesting. And then so she sent the list. I've seen it before as well. I know a lot of folks have that that uh, details various accomplishments and some of it, honestly, Casey, like the Medicare deals, really it's not quite what happened, but I don't want to get into all the the uh, the details there. But the, no doubt, a lot of this stuff was, uh, was good. Getting out of the job-killing Paris Climate Accord, I think that was crazy. Um, secured $700 billion in military funding in 716 for next year. So, okay, this is the issue. I suspect everybody listening, or I shouldn't say everybody, but most certainly who would describe themselves as fiscal conservatives, are you applauding that we're spending more money on the military? Because once again, it boils down to what is the role of government? Because spending more money on the military means increasing the deficit. Because we don't cut elsewhere, and the 70% of spending that is mandatory, we can't. Without 60 votes in the Senate. It's just on autopilot. The uh, first continuing resolution coming up um, this year or next year under the new Republican-controlled House is going to be fascinating to watch. I still believe Nancy Pelosi is going to put legislation in the House and try to get it through that eliminates the debt ceiling, which takes it, it, it neutralizes the debate on the continuing resolution. Because you don't have a threshold, whatever you want to spend. So you can't, when you're arguing against certain spending, 
provisions of the continuing resolution, you can't argue, well, we can't spend that because that would exceed the debt ceiling. Because there is not one. Because Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats don't care about that. Unfortunately, given the number of Republicans who supported the $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill and the CHIPS Act, in fact, our own Senator Roger Wicker supported those. I, I disagree with those votes by the senator. We don't have the money for that either. <laughs> that is essentially deficit spending. We can't afford it. When do we ever say no? And I understand that all those who supported it, certainly on the Republican side, I believe it was 19 for the infrastructure bill and 17 for the CHIPS Act. I may have that backwards. I think it's 17 and 19. But nonetheless, it's a it's a tidy chunk of them, sufficient to overcome the 60-vote threshold. It doesn't happen without Republican support. That's the point, which I think boosted the Democrats' chance in the midterm. But as important, if not more important, is that it's just adding to the debt. We don't have this money. We don't ever say no. It's just a money machine with unlimited printing capability. Uh, It just would make, I think, show good faith to stand down and say, well, I can't support this unless we're cutting elsewhere, dollar for dollar, to make it all work out. We don't do that. Let's see. I like Tim Scott, says Jason. I'd vote for him. Rubio, Pence, too, over any Democrat or Trump. Maybe we can get a trained monkey to run, but back with all the policy advisors who quit Trump's administration, definitely bring back Sean Spicer. Ooh, that would be entertaining. Spicy. No doubt. Without a move of God, this republic is over. I don't know if it will be six months or six years, but it is done. I, I disagree, and I think our best days are ahead. I think that I think that miring in pessimism. Oh no! I think I just found evidence that it is the end of the world. What's that? Spam has released a new flavor, limited edition for the holiday season. Spam. Okay. Yeah, you can only purchase it at spam.com, Amazon, or Walmart.com. It is the Spam limited edition figgy pudding. Okay. Uh, Flavor, spice, and everything nice is the tagline. (laughs) To get your Spam-branded figgy pudding just in time for the holidays. Well, that, in fact, should be. Isn't that one of the signs of the apocalypse? (laughs) I think so. (laughs) Why not? Throw it in there with everything else. (laughs) Yes, we do know. We did hear. Thank you, Gary Meridian, the... The person who stole the plane that was in Tupelo, first football game of the year, threatening to crash it into a Walmart, has died in federal custody. A young man. That's bizarre. Yeah, he was found unresponsive in his cell in uh, Florida uh, a little after lunch on Monday. Yeah. And then uh, they tried to provide life-saving measures, but he was pronounced dead. Yeah. So, man, sad, sad situation. It's still weird. I think I'm going to throw up on the ceasefire text line. I don't think I've ever had figgy pudding, so I don't know if I would want my first experience to be spam-branded figgy pudding. <laughs> Tom and Carthage, spam will last a very long time. It'd be a good thing to have in that bunker. Oh, gosh. Uh, crazy. 
Go back to earlier uh, in the day. I take my hat off to you, Gerard, for telling the truth. Lots of respect to you for doing so. Now it's on the people to decide. Really appreciate that, and I, I, I certainly, and I, I do appreciate that. I appreciate your, uh, your sending that in. And look, it's you know fine. Folks disagree. That's, that's what we're here to do. We're just sharing our opinion, and you may disagree, and that's fine. You know, someone said, "What's the to the person who said that." They may have to rethink their advertising with the company because of our unwillingness to unequivocally support Donald Trump. I I hate to hear that. I, I hope they don't. You know, I certainly don't want. He's got enough people in his inner circle pumping sunshine up his skirt. They don't need us. <laughs> I, you know, apologize. Uh, I should say that. I don't apologize. Uh, I am um, disappointed. That's a better way to put it not apologizing for anything. I'm just speaking my mind, my opinion, um, and I do my best to back those up, substantiate those opinions with with facts and logic. I know other folks do the same. We may not agree. That's perfectly fine. That's what makes the world go around. Let's talk it through and let's get things done. Coming back, final segment, Hour 3 on Middays. Stay with us. You're listening to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi. Super Talk Mississippi. Thanks so much for joining us today, folks. Don't forget, we're going to be in Columbia on Friday. Middays, good things, and the Super Talk Eagle Hour will be down in Columbia on Friday for the annual Columbia Christmas, excuse me, Christmas Festival. Preparations are underway to kick off the spectacular festival, and Super Talk Mississippi will be in downtown Columbia with all the details. Also, during National Family Caregivers Month, be sure to visit aarp.org slash ms or the AARP Mississippi Facebook page to find info and resources to help you on your caregiving journey. Tim McGee says on the ceasefire text line, you know, Gerard, people don't like the truth, but some of us still do. I appreciate that, Tim, and I don't have the franchise on the truth. I'm certainly not trying to say that. I just say that we do come in here every day with the intention and the goal of delivering the truth and and trying to cut through some of the some of the communication, some of the reporting, some of the rhetoric that that needs to be tempered, that needs to be analyzed, needs to be filtered and before I make statements about that I, I do some research through credible sources. It takes time. I'm happy to do it, to pass that on. And I'll say it again. If folks see something that's wrong or inaccurate, let us know. I know a lot of people have been texting in about the gas stuff, and and that's fine. And a lot of folks have shared what they were paying. But 
What he was talking about is not the price of gas in Mississippi, which tends to be the lowest of the 50 states. What he was talking about was the average across the country. Otherwise, you'd have to get into the average in all 50 states because they're all different. And the difference between Mississippi and California is significant. Right now, it's, what, almost two bucks. But the taxes, the state and local taxes paid, levied on a gallon of gas in California, are considerably more than Mississippi, which is next to the bottom, I believe, in terms of fuel tax. And I know diesel's more. I'm just saying that we're splitting hairs about a small amount of money there. I, I just think it could have been stated more accurately and and uh, and that was just one of the many. We could go through uh, the whole series of statements he made last night. I went through four or five of them. The Strategic Petroleum Reserve was one. Don't don't forget also, as we talked about earlier, all of these candidates for president. I'm going to keep harping on this. I wish they would not make these promises that they simply cannot keep. Not because they're unwilling to try. It's because they don't have the power. And I'm glad they don't have the power. I don't want dictators. Heck, they've already pushed enough, pushed the envelope with these executive order nonsense. That's been going on. I think it's been abused to a great extent. And if you look at most of what Donald Trump accomplished, most of that was executive orders, honestly. The exception being the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, which I fully supported, still a big fan of, and I, I, I'll point out again, the individual provisions of that of that bill, they expire at the end of 25, and we, we're setting the stage, I think, for a legislative battle on that, because the Democrats want to repeal them right now, because all the tax cuts went to Trump's wealthy friends. Only they got them. And the corporations don't pay their fair share. We got to tax them. So I, I'd like to see that. If the Republicans are smart, they pass a bill, Rhino, in the House that makes them permanent. Even though it won't pass the Senate, Biden won't sign off on it, get them on the record. But then be prepared to Show the math on that. Okay, that means when these things expire, I'd have those big old, those big old poster boards. You know they use on the easel in the chamber. This is under the Trump tax cuts. This is when they expire. Just some couple of typical examples, like we were doing here on the show with respect to the the uh, the tax reform bills being proposed in the Mississippi. I'd show that to the people. This is what the Democrats voted against. I think that's powerful. I think that would be a powerful message. Maybe they're listening. Maybe they'll they'll do that. I don't know. But nobody's talking about it, and that stuff expires in 25, and we go back to the Obama-era taxation, and I, I'm willing to say virtually everybody watching or listening right now paid a higher rate of taxes under Obama than they did after Trump packs pass the tax cuts and jobs act let's get it done mccarthy make the democrats go on the record on this we're out of time here today folks we thank you so much for joining us really appreciate all the engagement on the tax line as well back in the studio tomorrow until then stay safe and god bless everyone 
Talk Mississippi Media Production.